sole purpose in this army. To do whatever you tell me, Drill Sergeant. Welcome to the Truth to Power podcast. I'm Curious G. Some topics are just a little bit different. This week's topic is going to be one of those. On this podcast, if you're new to this podcast, we believe in a couple of things. Our brand is imperfectly human. We have the right to be wrong. We might have some discussions, not as experts, but just as human beings. And uh, these discussions are flawed. We're sharing opinions and thoughts because we believe that people need to talk in order to come together and understand each other. We all say that there are no stupid questions. I'd like to believe that. But this is a sensitive topic. So I ask, how does one speak truth to power? On this show, we do it through art. We do it through music, through the poetry of our language, often by the comedy that we find in the darkness of days. The art and the conversations may offend, for we are imperfectly human and uncensored. We believe in self-censorship, which means we're going to be as respectful as we can be on things that might be a sensitive topic, like today's topic. We hope that the themes that are chosen on the Truth to Power podcast will enlighten as well as entertain, for we wish to build enthusiasm for being connected. The topic today is a little special and maybe a little sensitive for some listeners. So keep in mind, for us, censorship means that You might hear a few things that uh, affect you in a deep place, but we have to be able to have some sensitive conversations in this life if we're ever going to resolve some of these issues. Today's topic, as we approach Veterans Day, deals with veteran suicide. Stick with us. Curious G, and this is Truth to Power. Podcast. This is Curious G, and I got my man Brett. Yep, that's my name. Dirty B, as I like to call him. That's what he calls me. All right, so we've got we've got an episode that first I feel like I should tell you a little bit of the story on how this song became a song. Um, this this topic it's uh, uh, from a song called Bullet. Um, which it's really focused on veterans issues. Although the topic on this episode is going to be veteran suicide, because I think that's the, the number one issue that seems to hold my attention anyway. Um, when I heard that there was, um, 22 veterans a day committing suicide, it was a shock to me. That's a large number I thought, but the way that the way that this conversation happened, I've never been in the military, but I happened to be 
at a party from a bunch of people that I work with, right? I don't drink, but I'm at a party with three guys that had served uh, in Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, and they were talking about some of the issues that they were dealing with, mental issues, problems, emotional problems, things like that. And they were just kind of hitting me up with all the stuff that was on their mind. Um, and it was one of those moments where you know somebody from work, um, but you've never hung out. All three guys, right? And um, it was one of those moments that somebody's words like became crystal clear and just resonated, you know? Uh, it touched me. Um, so much so that I ended up, I was the designated driver for a guy that I did music with, right? It was about the time that I just first started to do this rap stuff. And one of the guys that, um, that I used to play rock with, he has his own little studio at his house and, and he was recording me to see if, if we could make this kind of stuff work. I was still unsure. Right. Um, but I came back driving him home and he was completely trashed. You know, this was a, a buddy of mine that has a tendency to get fucked up or than a football bat. So right. I, I drive him home, but I can't stop thinking about that conversation. He's passed out in the car and it's just rolling around in my fucking head, dude. You know what I mean? Um, the next morning I woke up and I wrote Bullet and it was one of those songs that I just wrote like lickety split um, as fast as I could write, you know? And... Um, I really, it, it took a long time to get the music out for this because no, nothing ever felt right with this topic, you know? So even though I wrote it probably on my first album, it came out, you know, here it was my fourth album, right? Um, and it's just because it's a sensitive topic and I wanted to do it justice. Um, but on this podcast, we're going to kind of dive into some of the things that has uh, been on my mind concerning veterans and a lot of the issues that they come back with. Um, we're about to have Veterans Day. Um, and I just wanted to kind of broach this topic. So um, I've never been in the military. Everything that sparked this song came from what I was hearing from three guys that had and, and their truth, you know. Um, the lyrics are my own, but... Uh, it came from somebody else's experience that has been there and done that. Um, it's probably an outsider's perspective. Have you ever been in the military? I don't even know. I have not, but the issue definitely hits close to home because my one of my best friends growing up, one of my drinking buddies, uh, he ended his own life, I believe, four years ago uh, because of the past trauma. He was a he was a combat. He was a combat veteran. He was in the war in Fallujah, and he was the uh, saw gunner for his squadron, the M249, the fully automatic one. So when anything popped off, he was typically the first one putting rounds downrange, and he had to do some less than uh, less than therapeutic things to some people to ensure him and his people got home safely. And he carried that weight with him up until his passing. And it means a lot to me. This is definitely one of those podcasts where I'm going to be skipping most of the sex and dick jokes because this one hits home, especially around Veterans Day and the political climate that's going on right now. It's really looking like we're about to have a whole mess of combat veterans coming up soon that will be suffering from the very similar afflictions that my buddy did. So any kind of message we can put out there and any kind of awareness, I feel, is a very, very important thing to do right now. Have you had a conversation about this topic just in life with other people besides this podcast? I've touched base on it, honestly, but this is one of those things that I really felt like it wasn't my place to discuss. I've listened to some people who've confided in me about things like this. And it's a really big hangup of mine because I did my best with what I had to give at the time for my buddy. But in retrospect, 
I ignored a lot of the signs and a lot of the tells that showed that he was on a fast track to taking himself out of the game. And I ignored it for personal personal gratification. I'd rather have a drinking buddy that I could go get fucked up with and get in a fist fight with and laugh about it and uh, ignore all of the shit that he would tell me when he was drunk about things that he would laugh off just like I would do. Mm. But in retrospect, these were things that no human with half a soul could ever truly laugh off. You little scumbag. I got your name. I got your ass. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. What was the indicators that you were uh, just referring to? Like what what gave you an, an idea that... End level alcoholism, laughing off anything highly traumatic that he would bring up, only talk about the deepest, darkest things when he was incredibly inebriated on a substance or a liquor and complete overt denial the next day when he sobered up. See, I do think that alcohol, drugs, uh, self-medicating, and in fact, I talk about it in this song, um... I think that is something I've I've been I've ran into with guys that I know that came back from the military kind of all jacked up. I had a a carpool partner for a long time that uh, I worked with that um he had recently at that time come back from Afghanistan and and he told me he wasn't sleeping. He he couldn't laugh anymore. He said uh every time he hears people laughing, he thinks they're laughing about him and stuff like that, but um I was actually surprised that um Alcohol and drugs wasn't one of the indicators that that was always present with uh, veterans that committed suicide. Um, what I actually saw was there's three uh, stressors that are indicators that are, are present consistently for the majority of veterans that commit suicide. Um, one of them is trouble with relationships, you know? Um, and I, I imagine that transcends more than just the wife, you know, or the husband or, or, you know, I, I imagine witnessed those, I witnessed those firsthand with them. Yes. Yeah. I imagine it's kids, parents, uh, work relationships, just relationships, you know, like, uh, you know, and I, what I picture is, um, trying to relate oneself to somebody that hasn't been there or done that, you know what I mean? Um, which would be a feeling of isolation, you know? Um, the other uh, indicator is financial troubles. You know, that um, seems to be something that's going on with, with the veterans that commit suicide. And I would imagine, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're having financial troubles and things like that, like you just can't seem to put shit together when you get back. Um, I, I imagine you'd feel like I'm worth something. I've been trained to do, you know, all this stuff. I've had, you know, uh, let's say a million dollars worth of equipment uh, entrusted to me. You know what I mean? Um, and and you come home and the value seems to be gone. Uh, but the, the third thing is legal troubles, you know? Um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean getting arrested and things like that. Um, you know, uh, it could just be, well, I guess it would be arrested, but, you know, it could be domestic violence, things like that. Not necessarily being a criminal, you know, but, um, but having some, some issues, you know, there's some, there's some things on the surface that should be an indicator. And that's, that's actually the three things that, that is standing out, you know, um, which surprised me. I thought alcohol and drugs would have been top of the list. In retrospect, he definitely qualified for all three of those in just about the biggest ways one could. Mm. You know what actually surprised me when um, looking at veteran suicide? And this was one of the biggest things that surprised me. Um, of the 22 veterans a day that are committing suicide, um, it is not always veterans that went to combat. In fact... It's about equal, the ones that did and the ones that didn't. Um, they say about 10% of the veterans actually have been in combat, you know, which is not a huge number, right? Um, 
but there's uh, about half of the ones that commit suicide have been in combat and about half haven't. So you would think that it is the result of combat if from an outside perspective, just thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like when I hear 22 veterans a day commit suicide, my first thought is it's the result of war. And that's kind of what I thought. That was my bias going into the research. Yeah, that's where my head would definitely go as well. I could see a lot of different things playing into that, whether it be survival's guilt, survivor's guilt, which is a son of a bitch. Um, I could see inadequacy of those who have been deployed and not been deployed. I've, I think it all stems back to some kind of emotional inadequacy they would feel because being part of the industrial machine in any way I know will make you feel like a number, not a human. I know when I dabbled in politics a little bit or had to deal on a state level with politics, I realized just how bleak it really is to be a cog in this machine. So I'm only, it's only conjecture considering I have not lived it, but I could see how I, that could be related and be far, far more, far more difficult to handle than anything that I've ever personally experienced. You know, a lot of the veterans actually ask to go back to war. Did you know that? Because the one constant that I've always heard is reacclimating to civilian life is one of the most difficult and non-gratifying things that a lot of combat veterans have ever had to try and do. Because... Here, you have to live completely different than over there. Every day, you're on a constant adrenaline spike, thinking that this next minute could be your last. And what I've noticed with a lot of the combat vets that I've known, they live every day like it might be their last in the worst ways possible. Sir, I think I speak for everyone when I say that this place is unacceptable. Sir. And that's what I would have thought too, but keep in mind that just as many veterans that didn't enter into combat are committing suicide. So I I actually think it's something different. I think it's something different. Um, I think there's a couple of things. One is uh, when you're going through training, um, one of the things that that is, is kind of removed is uh, empathy because you can't be empathetic to somebody else's position if you're just following orders and you need to kill them, you know? Makes Um, perfect sense. And this is coming from uh, a military guy that um, studied and looked into all this stuff. And this is is coming from his words, not mine. Um, He said that when you take out empathy you know, during the course of training that we should consider finding a way to put it back as we integrate people back into society. Um, we're really good. We got it down to a science creating a soldier, you know, but how do we um, bring somebody back to where they connect to society? And I think that's part of it. You know, we've got to put the empathy back Um you know, and I think that there's there's things that we do that that make us empathetic. Um, but you know, I, I think that the bigger thing is when you're in the military, you're eating together, you're sleeping together, you're together, you're as a unit moving in one direction with a common goal. It's clear, right? It's understood. This is what we are doing. This is a tribe. This is a tribe. And the connection that it seems that people in the military have to other people that are in the military is tribe-like, right? And then you come back to the States and, and tribalism today is so divided. You know, you've got Democrats and Republicans accusing each other of undermining the country, right? Right? that these guys were trained to kill for, to fight for, to protect. They would put their lives on the line and they come back to this divided place with racial lines that are divisive. Um, You know, I think that uh, whatever unity 
may have been part of the United States is is broken. And when you come from a place where there's a deep connection to your tribe, these are your people. Like I said, we eat together, we sleep together, we talk stories about people we're in love with or people we hated or things that happened when we were kids. There's a connection. And then you come home and... Um, you know, this society that we have is isolating, is divided, you know, and I think that's one of the big issues. And I think that's why it isn't just guys that are experiencing combat. It's guys that experience a connection and then come home to feel disconnected. I think that tracks a hundred percent, honestly. It's one of those things, call it call it tribalism, call it trauma bonding, call it what you will. Uh, when you come back and try to reintegrate into the States, it almost feels like it's, it's already planned. If we're so good at making soldiers, why aren't we so good at reintegrating? And I think that all goes back to the divide and conquer mentality that if we all came together under a united banner, the powers that be would be terrified a, a giant mass of collective humanity would be a lot harder to control that than it divided. I think I messed that up. I don't know. Baby boys is still a little bit under the weather. If you can't tell by the gruff voice, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a rough week for both of us, brother. We're both coming out of some shit, but you know that, you know, I don't know if you know this, but on this truth to power podcast, uh, you know, over the course of the last year, we've had a lot of different things that could have derailed episodes, but somehow we've managed to put out an, an episode every week. Um, we've had uh, deaths in the family. We've had major trauma in the family. We've had, um, uh, a, you know, Rob's son has been born through the process of all this, right? Um, and and we have not failed to uh, put out an episode. Um, you know, we've, we've had coronavirus and, and things like that come up that, that has almost derailed things. And, uh, you know, this is one of those, um, this is one of those topics that, you know, it's, it's landing and it wasn't even part of the plan right on time because we're, we're approaching veterans day on the 11th and we should be uploading either the day before or on veterans day for this episode. Yeah, it's it landed right on time and right before it sounds like something is just ready to kick off because I got word down the grapevine that the Marine Ball was canceled this year. And I've been friends with one or two Marines, and that is the thing they look forward to the day after it ends for next year. And with that being canceled on a, on a country level, that kind of only means one thing, kind of the same thing as people that got their DD-214s, I believe that's what they're called when they get their exit from the military. The fact they were possibly going to be recalled with Gaza and Israel doing what they're doing. Do you understand what's going on over there? Do you get it? I haven't even talked to you about this. I do. You do? Okay. I, I have I have as, about as decent of a grip as a civilian with bipartisan knowledge being flooded down the pipes at any given term can possibly be. I have my assumptions, but yes, I've been following it rather closely. Do you think we should be there doing what we're doing? You want to know what I think? I think we should be out in the sea right now, stopping any of the, uh, any of the importer export, to Hamas right now, I do believe. Um, I think that is well within our well within our rights and the position we have put ourselves as a country and as a superpower that you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, regardless of who our allies are. It goes a lot deeper than what is being actively said on Fox News or CNN. It's you got to follow the money and see the bigger picture and who Hamas and Gaza work closely with and who Israel works closely with. It's no it's no it's no hidden secret that us and Israel are allies. 
No, no it's not. I mean, we're we're a, a Christian nation, right? Like that. That probably a lot of people believe that those are God's people, right? So, uh, you know, a lot of people on the religious side of things want to back that because they, in their mind, they're probably backing God. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm saying with the position we are in as a country and the fact that Palestine works directly with Hamas, that's not conjecture. That is truth for better, or for worse. Make your assumptions. Uh, the fact that they work directly with Russia, Israel works directly with us, and we work directly with Ukraine, it is a NATO situation. So we should be there in some respect. Or we could just call it a holy war and let it go how it goes. And I believe a lot more civilians will die if that happens. See, you know, here's the thing, and, and this is kind of what I was getting at is— um we are a war-like nation. Oh, yeah. We're um, always in a, not a war, we are always in a conflict. It's different. Oh, yeah. It's not different. No, it's not different. Um, Follow the money. You know, it. I, I feel, and, you know, I think in a lot of our wars, we're supposed to be, you know, spreading freedom throughout the world, this and that. But um, if you look at... Uh, our own country, um, there's a lot of neglect for the people that live here. Absolutely. Um, I don't think that, I, th I think the the difference between wealth and, and poverty is nothing but growing wider. The middle class is evaporating. Absolutely. The homeless problem is getting out of control. Um, you know, you know I, and I've talked about this on the podcast, but I think this is an appropriate episode to bring this up. You know, we go into Afghanistan for a legitimate reason. You know, we were attacked, right? Um, but, you know, the other thing is we stayed there a really long time when we're not completely out of there. And I find it very ironic that in Afghanistan, that's where over 90% of the world's opioids are grown. It's right? not ironic. It's it's broad form. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, the one thing, I won't really talk about political affiliation, but the one thing I will say is I am a patriot, and being a patriot is not means loving your country, but not loving the people who run it. And that goes for both sides of the demon, right wing, left wing. It's two wings on a fucking demon to me. But with that said, it's just a situation that where we got ourselves into, I couldn't tell you the right answer because there's a lot of nice ideas. Like, you know, people say, socialism or you know communism or any of that sure in a perfect world that would work terrific it is not a perfect world it will never be a perfect world and unfortunately i can't think of any other direction without complete restart of this world that we can go and that's that goes down a whole nother rabbit hole, and I wouldn't be surprised if we end up going into a giant restart. And a world war could cause a giant restart. Well, I think that's the the goal for some people. But to get back to the Afghanistan thing, you know, um, this is what I was driving at: is is not over ninety percent of the world's opioids are grown there. And since we got there, the opioid crisis in this country has doubled. The arrests have doubled, the deaths have doubled, and we've got drugs that we never even heard of that's hitting the streets that are just obliterating people. And right? it's weird that, you know, when we started our pullout of the Middle East, it we started instantly getting synthetic opioids in. Oh yeah, that's this is my point. This huh. fentanyl stuff and all this. It seems to be the war on the poor. And yet we're going around the world trying to free and liberate other peoples. But it's population control and and halfway controlled eugenics. That's all it is. <laughs> Dude, you know, it, it's a scary thing. And this is this is kind of my point with, with the amount of war that we've had. Um, so do you know how old our country is? Uh, you want to get technical? Yeah, we, stab at it. Take a stab. 1776. Right, but you know what year it is? Huh? You know what year it is? 
Uh, now do some, math. Somewhere between. Do some podcast math real quick. 23 down. Oh, shit. No, you're lost. I'm going to save you. 522 dude. years old. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fly in like Batman and save you. Uh, we are 247 years old. That was close. Yeah, well, yeah, you had a two in there somewhere. I, see? See? But the U.S., <clears throat> this is the big question. The U.S. has had a few years of peace. Guess how many years we've had in the 247 years that we've been a country? Mm. How many years of peace do you think we've had? Probably about 15. Goddamn close. You are you are batting a thousand. No, I, that's not how that's not how averages work. 17, 17, 17 years. There's only been 17 years of complete peace since the American colonists took up arms against the Brit, British to win independence. So that's not a lot of time just to breathe. You know what I mean? Just to be to chill the fuck out. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, we're how else are we, how else are we going to get money hand over fist and get people subservient to the country? But we've we've put all these resources into you know liberating countries and getting them to be safer, and it seems like we are not safer ourselves. <laughs> Listen up! Got a new sky marshal and a new battle plan. Gonna clean out the systems outlying Clendathu one planet at a time. Before we hit Tango Urilla. After Fleet glasses the planet, MI mops up. Carry on. Uh, well that that poses the question. Do you want controlled safety or dangerous freedom? And I won't get into voting, but there's kind of two options there on a localized level. That's as much as I'll touch with that. But ever since we became, ever since World War One, we were setting up to be a superpower. And when you become a superpower, the one way I can play devil's advocate with all of this is if we didn't sink the money into our defense budget that we did, we would not be safe. And therein lies the question... Do we accept the let the I don't know how to really put this shitting on the people in need in our country or keeping it to where we don't have full on invasion? Because if you look at Russia and you look at us, it's really it's really coming out. It's really coming out the fact that. Russia was a terror back in the 80s, and now you can see when a defense budget isn't first and foremost, you can see how shoddy and how weathered and outdated your shit can be. Israel just shot down a hypersonic rocket from space because their defense budget per capita is higher than ours. Mm. And does that make me feel good with the way the world is right now? Eh, better than not, but at the same time, there's one glaring, there's one glaring def fault in all of that that scares the shit out of me, and that would be the fact that very easily our power grids could be attacked. And I'm sorry if our power grids went down, we'd be eating our own within eight days. And they see the, they foresaw the fact that we would have an eighty percent death rate within 90 days of that happening. Does that terrify you? Uh, honestly, me personally, for the ones I love, yes. But for me, I would literally probably just go absolutely fucking feral for like a week and then probably get taken out by something. So oh, I'd, I'd probably be dead. But you know what? I think that world would make a little bit more sense to me than the world we're living in now. <laughs> Honestly, I'm yeah, I'm not trying I'm not trying to sit there and sound like I'm some badass or some like Mad Max motherfucker, but the idea the idea of my life ending does not scare me and I'm pretty adaptable to situations. Uh, I would be terrified, I would be sad, I'd be fucked up, but I think a little less though so than your average human. See, I think a lot of us in our heads, we see ourselves as being fucking badass, right? We watch movies, we, <laughs> we, we know the moves, right? We've seen the moves, and we think, oh, shit, I could do that. You know what I mean? 
I'm fast. Let me tell you a story. So after the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, I went to this thing called Family Fun Day or Family Fun fucking whatever the hell it was. It was $25 and you got into the Seahawk facility, and basically. It was a fun fucking family thing. Yeah. And you could go into the locker rooms and it was like the Super Bowl winning team had all their lockers with their jerseys and shit. You got to walk through there. You got to go down on the field, right? Like, so I got to be on the field after they won the NFC championship game and all that shit was cool to me, but they had games, Right. That was designed mainly for kids. But then they had some big kids, adult <laughs> games. Right. So basically they had split the field in half and one half of the field was also split in half in the middle of the field. And there was three people on this side of the field that would be a, a team. And there's three people on that side of the field. And what you would do is you would take a, a, a football and you'd run to these three circles and you would throw like you're throwing to a receiver and land on these targets downfield. And you got more points the farther that you threw. So if you stood at the farthest circle and threw to the farthest target, you got a bunch of goddamn points. And you're trying to get more points than the other team. But this is the way you had to do it. You had to take the football, run like a motherfucker to one of those <laughs> spots, throw it down the field, have it land and run back as fast as you fucking could. <laughs> Tag a dude who would run and... All three of you would take turns running and you got so much time to do it, right? So in my head, dude, I look like Russell Wilson, you know, <laughs> running around out there, you know what I mean? Just balling, right? I'm, I'm fucking got the full on strut, you know, just swinging my meat fucking hooks, mm. my big ass legs, just a monster out there, right? Like I could have tackled Marshawn Lynch in my mind, right? <laughs> and I'm throwing the ball downfield. <laughs> you know, and I'm coming back and I'm tagging dude. Meanwhile, my wife at the time is filming that stuff. Now in my head, <laughs> looked a lot different than that overweight, mentally challenged person. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is, is that, is that like Bigfoot? <laughs> he, he's not moving very fast. He's got a little bit of a limp to him. Why, why is he throwing so, I mean, it just looked bad. It looked bad. And I think that's the way I would be in the apocalypse, right? In my head, I'm like Rambo, you know, in reality, I'm not Rambo. I might I might look like Pee Wee Herman running around. <laughs> I'm not saying I'd be far off from that. I just I got a lot of love to give. I'm a pretty I'm a pretty decent human these days, but I don't know. I can draw back onto a, a rather gutter mentality pretty easily. So it's not. I don't see myself starting an army and you know raising a, a war against the the powers that be or the aliens or the fucking government or whatever. I just, I just don't really fear it too much. I can shoot pretty straight under stress and I had a couple days of training to keep myself out of too much physical harm. But, you know, I think we're going to see a white flash and have enough time to go, oh, fuck. So this is how it ends. Oh, yeah. And dude. that's probably how it's going to go down. I don't know. I just wake up every day, suit up, show up for the day and, uh. Just kind of see where it carries me. Hopefully I don't have to find out. I might be the guy curled up in a ball just sucking his thumb, crying for his mommy. Who knows? We'll see when we get there. Dude, I'm a backpacker. I'm going to go in the woods. I'm going to try to get busy out in the woods for a little while. You know what I mean? Rick. Tug. I killed one, Rick. The thing I love most in the world. Vivica, get off the line now. A hooker. All right, you killed a hooker. Calm down. Here's what you're going to do. Get your hands on some bleach, some hydrogen peroxide, and a shitload of lime. No, a panda. I killed Amanda. Amanda? Come on, dude. I mean, that, that's probably not even a real name. No, a panda. A panda? A sweet, cuddly, vicious little panda. Jesus Christ, Tug, man, don't scare me like that. But that's my plan. I think I, see, I just think I'd understand that world better than the world we're living in, because the world we're living in doesn't make sense. Not to me. I I see that. I the less thought the less thought I try to put into it, the more it makes sense. I I, I like to get over analytical with things, and I've spent a lot of sleepless nights doing doing a lot of things. But I've really 
sat there and crunched on the human condition quite a bit. And with this technological boom, it, like I think we talked about last week about it all coming to a singularity, like it really does make sense. And the biggest thing is unless they figure out how to use us for a fucking power source or us to be useful, there's going to be a culling on, on a global scale. And you know, every generation has said they're going to see the end of the world. I'm at the age now where I feel my generation will see the end of the world. I don't think or the, so. Or the rebirth of the world. I think but, we'll see the enslavement of the world, but not <laughs> not the obliteration. I think, yeah, I think uh, we're, all, we're already kind of seeing that. But then again, you can trace it back to probably as far as at least my grandparents, where at the end of the day, I mean, 19... 19- if you think about it, somebody, the book 1984, Orwell, you know, the Orwellian future, that shit was allegedly a, a work of fiction at that point. Read that book. If you want to absolutely terrify yourself, read that book and everything is coming true and has came true. And then if you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole, you got media, you got the government and all of that. If you look at all of this shit with media that has conditioned us, for what is going to be happening. Like, I don't believe in coincidence and I believe everything that you see when you see a pattern forming in society, in media and all of that shit made by some of the biggest companies, look at how much of it started off as fiction and became reality. Mm. But I don't know. See, you know, I, and this, Trying to get back on the topic of the vets and yeah, and, and, and the suicide and all this and that, um, you know. So this is one of the things that doesn't make sense to me. So this is actually uh, comes from the song "Bullet." Um, it's it's one of the lines that uh, you know. I just had to figure out a way to say it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> like I, I usually don't like to do too many statistics on this show, even though I kind of get into it here and there. Sure. But this is this is one of the lines from the song. 45,000 charities devoted to American veterans. Would they need that shit if tax dollars were really helping? Look at all the charities that are out there and do a little bit of research and see where the money actually goes. Follow the money. Well, but, but take the charities aside. My point is this. There's 45,000 charities that's raising money for veterans. Doesn't tax dollars take care of our veterans? Why are we also giving money to charity when, when our taxes should be taking care of these guys? Are these guys disposable heroes? And this is part of my point. They are. This is part of my so, point where we put them back into society, but... Um, we don't find a way to integrate them back into society in an effective way to reduce suicide. And that is regardless of if they've been in combat or not. You know, there should be some way of of reintroducing um, our military into the society where they're not having those stressors, issues with relationships, right? Financial issues, um, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the legal problems, you know, if these are the indicators, you know, why are we trying to fix it at that point? Why don't we go to kind of earlier? Because they're not really trying to fix it. I don't think that they are. And that's the answer I keep getting from people when I ask these questions. Um, but you know, I think, okay. So in, in 2020, there was approximately 5.2 million veterans that experienced a behavioral health condition. Um, It can spill over into all aspects of their life, impairing sleep, interfering with concentration, harming relationships with friends, family, whatnot, right? That's that's a lot of motherfuckers, man. 5.2 million? That's a lot, right? And that's just in one year. That's just in one year. And that's just in 2020. We've been at war for how many goddamn years? Well, yeah, if they all came back and they were all just completely right in the head or put in the work to get right, which a, a lot of them do, and God bless them, then it's, why Why do you think crack was introduced to the ghettos, like by the government, not conjecture, it's fact. Right, it, right. It all, I remember, my, yeah, I remember it, the movie, <clears throat> Interesting Shit, Kill yeah, a Messenger. Uh, and 
I think all of it, it, it all, it all goes back to eugenics who wants, and also if they reintegrate, how scary would it be for, uh, the powers that be to be raising for well-adjusted warriors to be raising well-adjusted warrior children? That's just my two cents on it. Mm. You know, I think, I think that, um, you know, part of this has got to be the isolation that they feel when they come back, right? Like they come back to a, a, a society that's divided when they're used to the, the tribe, you know, the closeness and the fellowship of, of, you know, the experience of being in the military. But I think that the disillusionment of coming back to see the country a different type of way, you know, after you've put your life in a position to um, lay it down for a place and you come back and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and then when it fucks you up and spins you out, have you ever heard of a time in your life? You got a couple of years on me back in the day. Did you hear anybody say anything better about the VA and how quick they could get in and how quality their service is? You know, probably not. Well, apparently he's not very happy down here at Shangri-La because he's written letters to everybody but Santa Claus asking for a transfer. It, it seems to me that um, that it is made difficult for the veterans to get what they need, which is why we have 45,000 charities raising money for them is because we're not meeting their needs. Um, we hear that line, support our troops, support the troops. You know, um, and that's just translated to fund the war machine. It's well, not to support them. Well, you know, in 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 the song that uh, I wrote, "Bullet," I say, "You first, Unc. God damn, this is fucking dumb, right? More have died by their own hands after they turned in their guns." Mm -hmm. um, so the hook on this song is four times the deaths among these vets by their own hands, because it's it's actually four times the amount are killing themselves compared to the ones that actually die in combat, which is an incredible number to me. You know, for every one that dies in combat, four are coming home and committing suicide. Uh, but those are just, those are just the ones that are, are committing suicide. What about the ones that we lose to homelessness? What about the ones that we lose to mental illness, right? That, that bury themselves in a bottle or bury themselves with drugs and, and literally die. Maybe that isn't suicide where they hang themselves or shoot themselves, but it, it's the taking of a life. And those numbers aren't even being tallied. It, it, this is my point. <laughs> um, or you've got the, uh, the people that do never kill themselves, right? That um, maybe they do self-medicate and they're able to function. But let's say that there's damage within the household, right? Like... Uh, I mentioned domestic violence earlier, right? Um, so you, you've got sexual assault rates, which are higher in the military than in civilian populations, especially among the female service members, right? This happens more often. Um, there's, a, there's a certain violence that comes with sexual assault, right? Um, and if, if that's occurring at a higher rate, in the military compared to the civilians, what's happening in other ways? What's the other subtleties that the aggression comes out besides just sexual assault or domestic violence? You know, like the indicators, what I mentioned earlier, uh, trouble with relationships, financial troubles, legal troubles. You know, these are some of the indicators that there's trouble on the ridge, <laughs> right? Right. Um, and I would, I would imagine that some of those financial troubles, even if it doesn't end in suicide is one of the things that leads to home, you know, homelessness. Um, if you're having trouble in relationships, that's our roots. That's the thing that gives us a foundation, right? You're least likely to become homeless if you've got some kind of foundation and relationships. But if you're having trouble in those relationships and you're having financial trouble, cause maybe you're not able to work right, you know, um, the dude that I was carpooling with, you know, he told me, and he was almost homeless. Uh, he's he's working the day, like I, I'm friends with the dude, and he's in my union. But awesome. know, this is going back to, uh, um, I guess we were on the same job site, maybe 2008, something like that. Um, 2000, yeah, 2008, I'd say. That's about um, when I left the union. He, uh, 
you know, he, he was my carpool partner and, and he said he wasn't sleeping. Um, he was drinking, you know, to kind of deal with all that stuff. Um, when he said he couldn't laugh anymore, <laughs> that, oh. that fucking hit me, you know? Um, and he would like pretend to laugh, but he said he didn't feel it, you know? So I was always trying to fuck with him and make him laugh about shit. Of course. You know what I mean? Um, and I've got a sick sense of humor. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Not in the slightest. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. So this dude, he, uh, he was from Maine. I said, damn, man, what's Maine like? He said, it's cool. I said, oh, I should, shit. I've never been to Maine. I said, um, is there any black people in Maine? <laughs> He's like, yeah. Yeah, we got some black people in Maine. I said, that's cool, man. <laughs> I said, because I come from Florida and, you know, I come from a mixed family and I like being some black people. And uh, I said, was there any Hispanic people in Maine? He goes, yeah, yeah, we got some Hispanic people. I said, ooh, you got any Selma Hayek's in Maine? <laughs> we got a few. We got you a few. You and Selma. You and Selma. And I said, uh, I said, well, uh, you got any gay people in Maine, you know, after you left? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't catch that part, <laughs> but you know, I did laugh a little bit at that, and it got him to lighten up. You know, and uh, laughter is a great medicine. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that does it, it. It does have a release, right? And for somebody to not be able to laugh, you know, or what he said is he heard people laughing and he thought that they were laughing about him. You know, mm -hmm. there was a paranoia. There was a distrust of the people here, the people in this country, you know, where he was feeling aggressed, but nobody was aggressing him. So, you know, the dude was fucked upper than a football bat, to be honest with you. And um, today he's got a normalish life from what I can see. You know, we uh, we worked recently on a on a job together. He was for a different company and I was working this job and we ran into each other. He's like, holy shit. <laughs> That's you know? always fun. Um, so I was a hairy motherfucker the last time he saw me. I was in my 30s and my wife at the time, she wanted me to grow long hair. She'd saw some pictures with, with long hair. So I, I had long fucking hair and a beard and all that shit. And uh, here I am all tight, tight on the <laughs> shave and almost no fucking hair because I cut it short, right? Um, right, that's why. And he almost didn't recognize me. Especially since, you know, it was 2008 and here fucking it is, you know, 2023, right? It's a lot of years later. It's a few. Yeah. And uh, I was young as fuck back then. He was a kid, you know, and, and we grew up a little bit. But, um, you know, I always wondered if, if he was dead because he was literally on the verge of being homeless back then. Mm. And um, he didn't slip through the cracks. But how many guys like him that did? Too many. Too many. Uh, I had a guy on my job site uh, last year, maybe a year and a half ago, that was not functioning as a human being. He lost his job because he couldn't function. And um, he was one of those guys we were all expecting to kill himself, to be honest with you. Yep. And we didn't know how to help him. And uh, I think one of the big things is, let's say I am in the military or have been in the military. I'm not going to open up to people that aren't usually. Right. I don't think I would have been privy to the conversation that those three guys were having um, at that at that work party. It was a big fucking bonfire we're sitting around, but these guys were talking amongst themselves. I happen to be sitting there. I ask questions because it's in my nature. You know, it touched a nerve with me and I cared, you know, but I don't think they would have had that conversation with me if they weren't talking to each other first. Yeah, I could see that. The reason, one of the reasons that my uh, my buddy confided in me is I was also a a very violent trauma survivor, and with that, he's one of the few people that actually knows that story start to finish, and that helped him because at that point, I at least looked like I had a pretty good head on my shoulders, and was semi-functioning as a human being in the society. And that was something that he really hadn't been able to do since he's been back. And I don't know, in retrospect, it, it cuts like a knife knowing that I could have done more, you know, could have, would have, should on all of that. But, you know, I did the best I could with what I had. And 
I had to draw some boundaries with him when I went out of my way to help him out of a really, really shitty situation. And he decided to take it the wrong way and came after me in a pretty shitty way. And keep in mind, this is the guy that every time we hung out, we would get fucked up and we would full on fight. That was the one thing that we had a bond about. Every time we got together, people would gather because we were going to just beat the fuck out of each other. And that's not healthy. That shows we (laughs) both had some very big demons and I'm thankful the one time he got the best of me that there were, it was at, it was in a group because there was a lot of times it was just me and him and whether he got more fucked up than me, whether I got lucky, I don't know what it was, but typically I'd come out on top. And the one time he came out on top in retrospect, if there weren't people there to pull him off, he probably would have killed me Hmm. and playing with something like that, that I don't, didn't really realize at the time, but it was, I just thought it was a vent for him, but looking in his eyes when he got the better of me that one time, I, I, I saw, I, I didn't see a guy just, you know, having a scrap with his friend. I saw somebody that was intent on killing. That was terrifying. Just makes me really happy. He's at peace now because he, he didn't really know peace very well, but he served his country well and he brought all of his brothers home. At the expense of himself and the things he had to do. You know, and and this is one of the things I tried to capture with this song, Bullet, is I I really tried to um, to, to, to carry a voice for veterans. You know, they say support our troops. This was the way that I was trying to support our troops, right? And I think the biggest message in this song is uh, asking for our troops to be supported by our actual government. You know, I think that's the conversation that needs to happen. Um, and I think um, I think that there is a responsibility that carries beyond um, term of service. I think that, you know, we have VA and things like that, but um, there's a lot that's, that's falling through the cracks. Um, and I think that if we don't talk about this stuff um, as Americans— to support the veterans who will absolutely nobody because as of right now i think the government's just limping up to the plate on it and i think the only way we could generate change on this is if us as a society on a societal level regardless of your political affiliation regardless of how you feel what they did it for this and that if you can look at them as another human being that tried to better than themselves, their family, or their country, even if you consider that naive, they're humans that just tried to go and do their best. I don't know any psychopaths that joined the military just to go and kill. I've never met one, or if I did, they had it hidden pretty fucking well. But at the end of the day, we're all just humans trying to do our fucking best. Sometimes our best gets fucked up, perverted, and falls short. But if you can look in the mirror and say that I'm truly better than any service vet, I think you're a punk, but <laughs> <laughs> my thoughts are irrelevant. I think everybody should honestly just fucking understand that we're all humans just trying to figure out this crazy dance we call life. We might not all do it the same, but if we did, it'd be even scarier. Well, here's something, and, and we are going to wind down here. Um, But research suggests that veterans have a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, some forms of cancer, chronic pain, and stroke than non-veterans. None of that is surprising. You know, it's, uh, dude, you know, I think that, I think with all that stuff going on and the homelessness and the drug addiction and the alcoholism and all this stuff, I think we as a country need to be in support of our vets a little bit better than we are by having the conversation and saying, why do we have 45,000 charities raising money when our taxes should be performing the the duty of meeting their needs? Um, but beyond that, I think that, that um, to actually have a, a, a country when they come home that is unified, that is connected, because we are a tribe. 
Um, and here's one of the most interesting things, and I'll, I'll kind of finish with this. Um, do you remember after 9-11, right, the, the community feeling that existed? Oh, yeah. Suicides dropped. Homicides dropped. Rape dropped. Violent crime dropped. Right? We were just fucking attacked. And we all trauma bonded. Yes. Yes. Because it was a, a, a collective um, sharing. We became a tribe. We shared the pain. Or did we trauma bond? That's, this is exactly what I'm saying. And the same thing happened during Blitzkrieg in, in England. Right? Um, following all of that, there was, a, there was a sense of we're all one. Right, they they didn't have the uh, class separation of wealth and poverty. It was no, we're all Brits, right? Because we all had a common enemy. The, well, that was that was part of it, but it, you know, it's it isn't just about the common enemy. It's uh, looking at each other and actually caring for the human being that's next to you because you know that they're dealing with the same shit that you're dealing with. That's the empathy, you know, and I think that's why. Um, if we're going to remove empathy from our soldiers, if they're going to war or not, I think that's one of the reasons why they struggle when they come out of the military is because, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a struggle to empathize, right? Um, you, you leave that tribe setting, you come back to a divided nation and there isn't a lot of empathy, right? And there isn't a lot of sympathy either. You know, people just don't understand. So they don't open up. They don't talk about it. Um, and it often ends in suicide, 22 a day, you know. So um, you, you figure in, in a 24-hour day, right, uh, somebody's committed suicide during this conversation. Definitely. You know. Um, and for me, all of it's unacceptable. All of it. Agreed 100%. You know. Um, anyways, this has been the, the truth to power podcast. Uh, I know it's a sensitive topic. I will say again, our brand is imperfectly human. We're just two human beings having conversations. We hit spiritual, political, and social topics. Today's topic I know is a sensitive one. Um, maybe we're not experts by any means, but I think that these conversations need to get started. Um, and this is one of the places that we try to start a lot of conversations, not just on, um, veterans issues, but education, um, labor issues, uh, relationship issues, you know, just things that make us all human. So, um, you know, I think in the society that we live in today, especially with social media, we try to frame our lives so perfectly. We're only posting the pictures that make us look good, right? Everything needs to be perfect. But on this show, um, and perfectly human as part of our brand because we're all flawed. And um, one of the reasons why I believe that we need to talk about this is uh, since the age of social media, teen suicide has almost doubled. It's 40% higher among girls, 30% higher among boys, right? I think that they kind of feel like they need to be perfect and it's not feeling that way inside, right? So this, this, brand of imperfectly human is huge to me. You know, um, it, it, it was, we all have problems. <laughs> we all do. There ain't not one of us here that doesn't. And, um, we need to be vulnerable to be able to talk about this stuff and to be able to listen. So that's kind of one of the points of this podcast. Um, so veteran suicide. Yeah. That's where I land on it. And I'll just end with this. To all the veterans out there, every all the service members, past, present, and future, fuck anybody that has gone through any kind of traumatic experience that has rattled you to your core, and you're listening to this, that means you're still above ground. It means tomorrow's another fucking chance to do it. And do it better, or do your best. And your best is completely subjective, but I know I say a lot of shit on here. But if you could take one thing away from any of the shit that I've ever said on here and ever will is the fact that you matter. I believe in you and I genuinely love you. That's all I got. 
You'll have a wonderful morning, evening, night, whenever you're tuning in. Until next time, there might be more dick jokes. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you for your service. And, um, you know, I'm trying to be of service in my own way. So hopefully it, um, hopefully it accomplishes that. So this has been the Truth to Power podcast. We got Dirty B, Curious G, and we will be with you again next week. Later. We have to do a stupid report on Vietnam. You and Ned are the only guys we know who were there. Oh, yeah, we sure were. Was it fun? Carbon, what kind of stupid ass question is that? Of course it was fun. Well, sure, Vietnam was fun. But not like going to the circus fun or fly fishing in Montana fun. No, Vietnam was more like shoving shards of broken glass up your ass and then sitting in a tub of Tabasco sauce fun. Whoa. This has been part one of the Truth to Power episode that is dealing with the song Bullet and some of the ideas that I wanted to discuss with this song. I hope that it hasn't been uncomfortable. Um, It's a very uncomfortable topic for some people. I hope that we actually accomplish something here where we've opened up a conversation that will begin some conversations for other people and get us to think just a little bit differently. Thanks for tuning in. I am Curious G, and this has been Truth of Power. We will be back with part two of this topic next week. Four times the deaths among these vets by their own hands. Four times the deaths among these vets by their own hands. Four times the deaths among these vets by their own hands. Four times the deaths among these vets by their own hands. Hear me, yeah. Oh shit, here come the bullets. Okay, perhaps I had a point, but I gotta ask, is it worth it? Goddamn right it is. The most dangerous of all of this are ideas that catch like straight fire. The most vicious trick is dropping one simple truth into a shit show circus of lies. our troops is the way they framed it have we been duped to pledge allegiance without grievance and never change it the idea strikes me right but then they stained it because the man don't support the troops the way words like to paint it 45,000 charities devoted to american veterans would they need that shit if tax dollars were really helping our troops you first unk goddamn sam this is fucking dumb more have died by their own hands after they turned in their guns